for me, a counsellor who does a lot of scrutiny is on audit committee. For me to not know how that works, I know more about how the New York system works from just reading up Wikipedia. You sat on the audit committee and you didn't know how the one city boards were selected? No, no, not formally. We didn't have one paper. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. It's politics again this week in Bristol Unpacked. Last week we had a Labour Party councillor who was loyal to the administration, and this week we have a former Green Party councillor, Clive Stevens, who is seen as a thorn in the side. He recently stood down for reasons of stress. We talked to him about why that is and how he can protect councillors and their role, and also scrutiny, why he feels the City Council, the Mayor and politics in general should be far more transparent. It's been in the local media that you obviously you've stood down as Green Party councillor because of stress. Yeah. So you're feeling better though now? Was already have you noticed a slight kind of re-collaboration of your health a bit since you well, stood down then? Yeah, more, it's more than slight. Oh really? The stress was caused by being a councillor, uh, which is only supposed to be a part-time job, by the way. And yeah. I was working just far too hard. I've been working six or seven days a week since 2019, and you start working Sundays as well and just keep it going and keep it going. The type of work you have to do, it just it's demoralising. You go out on a Sunday and you come back and you see a load of more emails and you know you can't, you have to do them Sunday evening because Monday morning you've got a council meeting and then, of course, I run a business. So it was just getting all too much. And I knew it was the council aspect of stress because I took a bit of time off sick in December and yeah. by New Year's Eve, I was feeling really good. So that was three or four weeks. Stress comes out in different ways. And for me, it's high blood pressure. I was getting symptoms that were quite dangerous due to really? high blood pressure. And that disappeared. And believe it or not, it all came back again on one day. I only needed to read one council report. It's a very special wow. one. And the whole lot came back again. So I thought, well, that's it. I'm off. Uh, do you not want to know what that report was? Yeah, go on. Surprise, surprise, it was Bristol Energy. And it was yeah. the audit report, which said what the council had to do. But what really wound me up was what the council replied, saying they were going to carry on doing what they were doing. And I thought, bloody hell, we've been at this for four years or more, and they still won't admit they need to get better. When was this, Clive? This was when? This, this final straw was, oh, I don't yeah. know, 10th, 12th of January, and, you know, having gone through what I went through in December, I knew I wasn't going to do this again. It was, you know, two completely sleepless nights where you wake up thinking, well, how are we going to fight this one? Uh, yeah, you- let's let's get on to some of the sort of policy stuff a bit later, but the kind of human side of being counsellor. Hmm. Did the general public realise how stressful and how much work you guys do for potentially quite a lot of hostility as well you know you're not patted on the back every five minutes you've done a great job and all that kind of stuff are you so you know do do, do we really understand that I want to get inside the head of what is it like to be a counsellor because I don't think we do as a a general public yeah well when I announced my retirement I got 10 or 12 thank yous from 
key members of the public in my ward, which is really nice. But mm-hmm. of course, there's nearly 10,000 people that didn't really appreciate it. But whenever you get a problem from a member of the public, for them, it's like a really important problem. The councillors, I've described it before, as the fifth emergency service, or maybe the fifth equal yeah. anyway, along with the gas yeah. board and, and the like. And we get involved with people who are about to be made homeless, people who can't get their children in schools, all sorts of really, really, for them, really important things. Yeah. And uh, often we don't feel supported. And that's before you start looking at the council meetings. Because it's a part-time role, effectively, but obviously the time and the evenings and the weekends and all that kind of stuff you have to dedicate is is a lot. And the basic allowance is 14,330. I didn't know it was that high. I thought it was 13 and a half, but it's different in different councils. And that was the sort of the UK basic allowance, I said. Yes, yeah, so we're slightly under average in Bristol. Are you paid enough then? Are gangsters paid enough? <laughs> well, it depends what you mean by enough. Um, I earn a lot more from my business. I still kept running. What's that, Clove? What do you do? I deal with security systems for different museums, cash and transit banks. I can't talk too much about it because it. Yeah. It's security. You'd have to kill me, would you, if you told me? <laughs> well, and all your listeners, yes. That's a good way to leave politics. Exactly. Take the shit down with you. And that's a really an interesting point. It's a stressful job. It's low paid. You've obviously got an income elsewhere. Yeah. Some councillors do, some don't. Absolutely. I don't know how some of them survive. I think if you're on a pension, you can use it to top up. But if you are like in your 20s or 30s, you're going to have to do something else. And that really detracts from the value that you're putting in. For those type of people, I'm really sympathetic. There's no way we're going to get a balance across the population, across the demographics, while they're paid so poorly. Surely it's going to encourage people that are a bit wealthier, but people that maybe come from uh, humble beginnings, it's kind of set against them. Because there's not many people I know that can take that hit for that amount of money. No, exactly, exactly. Uh, and you're very well known for sitting on audit committees and, and passionate about scrutiny. Yeah. You've got Labour's Mark Brain, who was chair of the audit committee, saying all the time that you've been on the committee, you've been a marvellous member, you ask questions that nobody else thinks of, and you don't let things go. You've been a great counsellor, and I've heard people in our party say what a good guy you are. Tory member Jeff Gollop said, you've actually proved one of those who care about systems integrity and can work together with people from all political persuasions. And Eleanor Combley, who's the Green leader, she said, Clive has gained a reputation as a powerful voice for transparency and scrutiny. He was known for asking tough but constructive questions to council officers. That's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I've gone bright red. Embarrassment. Unfortunately, you can't see that. <laughs> Would it be fair to say that you're sort of seen as a bit of a thorn in the side towards the uh, the mayor's administration? I don't know. You need to ask them that. I went to most cabinet meetings, and all you can do is make a little speech or ask a few questions, which you get fairly bland answers to. If I agreed with something... For example, what they were doing in children in care, which council looks after 600 or so children, or adult social care. I think we've got five or 6,000 people we look after. I'd give them support. And if I disagreed with what they were doing, like the location of the arena or the extra money they were putting towards refurbishing 
Bristol Beacon was Colston Hall, and special educational needs cuts, which were really quite dreadful. And the judge pulled us up on that. I mm-hmm. tell him what I thought. I'm quite a systems person. I've taught engineers and I'm, I'm a scientist. And there's just so many flaws in the different systems we work to. You know, everything's broken, really. And that's what mm-hmm. my book's about. It's showing how things are broken. So your book is called After the Revolution, yeah. Lessons from Local Government on Designing a Dynamic Democracy. I, I haven't read it yet for my sins, but I do intend to. I just haven't had time. Um, <laughs> the whole philosophy of the book is around how democracy is being diminished. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest criticisms, I would say, of the current mayoral administration. But what I can't get my head around, is it the system itself that isn't democratic, the mayoral system, or is it the way that the mayor and the team do politics? It's probably a bit of both. Well, this is the only mayor I've known, and Bristol's the only council I've known, so I have to caveat that. But they're very tight on letting us see information, which for somebody like me who wants to help and use scrutiny to feed in good ideas and better ways of doing things, it's dreadfully frustrating. And they seem to... I don't know whether it's all about spin or putting a positive gloss on things. Quite often there's things that should have come to scrutiny that we find are in the papers, and that's how councillors learn about them. And it's just not the right way of doing things. Would it be different under a different regime? Well, I think it could be, but I think there are flaws in the mayoral system as well. Yeah, expect what are they? Well, one specifically is the power that's given to the mayor's assistant, he who shall not be named for those Harry Potter fans. And that's Kevin Slocum for the non-political people listening. Carry on. Okay. (laughs) I didn't say that. Um, So he seems to have a very tight control over Labour councillors. I mean, you even heard Afsel last week. He wouldn't answer your question right at the end of your interview. And the mayor goes off and does his deals and gives his great speeches. He's he's a good speaker. Mm -hmm. He's very credible. Um, And then uh, he who shall not be named is sort of doing all the work in the background, making sure it's messaged properly, making sure that the councillors say and do the right things and that we don't get to criticise that. I mean, what that's going to do is it's going to increase the chances of the mayor getting in again but it isn't necessarily going to bring the best decisions for the people of Bristol. To play devil's advocate, is his role fundamentally, or the the, the title is head of the mayor's office, but fundamentally, you know, background is a a union fixer, uh, a spin doctor, uh, a press officer, managing the message and managing that communication stuff is kind of his job, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, But he needs to be constrained in that job to a certain extent. You know, everybody in the council all have codes of conduct they sign up to. There's Mm -hmm. one person in the council who doesn't have a code of conduct, and that's the mayor's assistant. Whatever rules he works to is between him and the mayor, and that's allowed within the mayoral system. Effectively, he is appointed by Marvin. His salary is decided by the the mayor. Well, no, if Marvin loses the election, then he will go as well. The the two are together. Really, it would be much better if they were like a twin ticket on the vote, so people cast (laughs) their vote for the Marvin and Kevin double act. 
And the interesting thing is you've got Kevin's equivalent for George Ferguson was Zoe Mears, who is the partner of the green mayoral candidate that's standing against Marvin. Yeah. Will she do that role with Sandy then, if he won? I don't know. I've wondered it. I haven't dared ask. Uh, maybe you should interview Sandy. Yeah, well, we're going to get them all on, well, hopefully okay. closer to the, yeah. to the election. It's interesting, isn't it, I think, because the head of the mayor's office, Kevin Slocum, most journalists, that he, he will probably listen back to this, I think, most journalists are completely scared of him. Yeah. They, they really are. I know some of them. I, I don't think all of them are, fortunately. But it's... Yeah. Uh, He's he's got a lot of he's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of power, and mm. it wouldn't surprise me if some officers were in the same situation. So, your objection is that the role itself is fundamentally undemocratic. The, the yeah, existence well, of the role, yeah, it enables somebody to be totally undemocratic and to yeah. lean on officers and make sure documents don't come out, to make sure where possible decisions swing one way. Yeah. I think. I think the role needs to be reined in a bit and there's nothing to rein it in at all. And that's one of the failings for me of the mayoral system. We spoke earlier about money. You know, I don't, I don't want to sort of personalise it, but this is about the role itself. We spoke about how little councillors earn, but that role at the moment, the head of mayor's office, earns more than the mayor. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I wouldn't swear I'm exactly right, bits of that order. So if you are a councillor being bossed around or told what to do as an elected official by somebody who's not elected, yeah. how, how, how would that feel? How does that feel? Oh, you need to ask you them. Know, you? You, didn't, you need to ask them. Yeah. yeah ask I didn't, them, ask, didn't, ask, for, I didn't ask him that. <laughs> I didn't ask him that, did I? No. Yeah. On, on that, obviously you're a Green Party person that, you know, the green issues, Afsal is in that role in terms of the climate emergency. You listened to that interview did you feel there was anything that he could have been pressed on a bit more? <laughs> I've got this list of four pages because I listened to that interview. Oh, have you? All right, okay. Yeah. okay. So okay. Um, right. I think he was doing quite well until he got to Bristol Airport and then he started yeah. losing the justification there. Labour haven't really been that environmentally driven. Uh, they have in Bristol in the last year or two, but that's because they're under pressure from the Greens. Yeah. And there was, was it the EU elections? I think it was the EU elections in 2019, which to a certain extent were a bit pointless because, of course, we were coming out. But Bristol got 35% for the green vote, which was enormous. And I think... Yeah, didn't, wasn't it Cleo Lake was Harris breath away, wasn't she? Yeah. It must have shaken them up a bit for to have a real election and show that Greens yeah. were... In fact, Labour came about fourth. That would really shake Labour up, and they took they took over the climate emergency, which was a green motion that came to full council. They took that on, and it's good. I mean, I'm pleased they've taken it on. They in power are doing more than we could out of power. But the key thing now is the messaging war coming up to an election. So really, if we didn't have enough Greens around, Labour wouldn't have done this. But they have done it, and it's great, and well done Labour for, for doing that. But you can see some of their messages are a little bit distorted. Yeah. The airport one is a brilliant one, where they're trying to ride two horses at once. But if you look back at politics over the last 20, 30, 40, isn't that what politics is? 
isn't it a shifting ground that over time window moves in one way or direction people jump because i guess the green party is a conviction-led party that's never really been in power is it easier for you to be wedded to big singular issues more because you you haven't got that kind of compromise or that sense of having to retain power do do you know what i mean is it easier for you guys to be more purist i suppose the the answer to that is certainly in the past it was and this is one of the reasons I wrote my book, because my book, it talks yeah. about all the other green things that are not climate change, including, you know, adult social care. You wouldn't have thought greens have got policies for adult social care, but we have. A, we've got a whole whole raft of them. And, um, of course, affordable housing. Because that would be one of the criticisms levied at the Green Party by Labour is that you aren't as strong on social issues. They'll take it back to what about social care? Easy to be prioritising issues that, you know, if you can't feed your kids tomorrow, they aren't at the forefront and the priority of your mind. And that stereotype of what a Green Party activist is or or a Green Party uh, councillor, and it is a stereotype, but the stereotype is there is around someone that maybe hasn't had the lived experience of poverty. Therefore, those key green issues, almost like Maslow's uh, pyramid of need, isn't it? The kind of higher you go up, the more self-actualization. So is that a fair assessment or a fair criticism of the Green Party and Green Party members, or is that just a lazy stereotype? (laughs) I think that's a very good lazy stereotype, and thank you for expressing (laughs) expressing it so accurately, Neil. I think there's a lot of quite poor Greens, especially in, in the rural areas, my interest lies so strongly in the social justice and the uh, and the democracy and the uh, the scrutiny um, and the openness and transparency, and that's why my book's about. And my book is sort of in a strange way because it, it came out in September. Uh, it's selling well, yeah. actually, getting some really good reviews. Yeah, and and, they didn't offer me a free one. They did you, I noticed. <laughs> well, it depends. Uh, Maybe you're waiting to see how the interview went before you decided, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, do carry on. But um, yeah. the, the causes of social inequality and poverty are the same causes as really of climate change. It's basically we've got a political and economic system that only favours certain groups of people. And they're the people who are in the past have built those systems. Those systems need to be dismantled. Just pause the chat for two minutes. Transparency is something that we are passionate about at The Cable. So if you want to hear more conversations about social issues and hot topics, then you can become a member. You can chuck some money in every month and you can contribute and have a say in what we cover online and in the paper. Back to the chat particularly when Marvin was voted in, I think he even said in one of one of his speeches before about making everything transparent above board or something like that, because there was a lot of stuff around which the Bristol Cable covered quite extensively on the Bristol Port, a lot of stuff around the kind of merchants and their kind of hand-in things. So this was something that was levied at George. And then kind of think what's happened now, in particular these one-city boards, which are across, I think, five or six different sectors in the city, a collaboration between local authority, third sector and business. Nobody has voted onto these panels. They are decided by the mayor. Is that for you 
something that is fundamentally undemocratic. Do you object to that as a, as a principle? I don't know enough about how the one city system operates. Intuitively, I can understand if you want to get a load of people together in business and Bristol University, those type of yeah. people don't like working under scrutiny. They're not used to it. They're used to keeping information private. But I think, you know, for me, a councillor who does a lot of scrutiny is on audit committee. For me to not know how that works, I know more about how the New York system works from just reading up Wikipedia. You sat on the audit committee and you didn't know how the one city boards were selected? No, no, not formally. We didn't have one paper that came to audit. And by the way, you know, we're responsible for monitoring governance. But we had our hands tied because the governance of the businesses were so bad. And this is where taxpayers' money was going into more and more. You know, we've seen Bristol Energy go wrong. And I don't want these businesses to go wrong. We've got Gorham Homes that's got delays. And, you know, house building and property development is really yeah. tough at the moment. You've got the, the City League, yeah. which is yeah. making Bristol carbon neutral. And they've said, yeah, we have to do deals with big companies get them to make big profits because otherwise they won't invest. So you'll end up with, uh, and I'm hypothesizing here, the heat network that we're all developing will become a monopoly owned by, I don't know, British Gas or whatever. And we'll pay quite a lot of money for that as users, me and you or whoever's connected to it. Are you not just getting in the way Clive, of, of, of change and progress. I mean, Bristol's been known for inactivity and council deadlocks over the years. Are you just are you just getting in the way of progress? Marvin would say that, probably. Or could, <laughs> could say that. Remember, my role was, was an opposition councillor. I think change can be driven in a democratic way. I think it makes it slower. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I think it yeah. makes it more likely to work because you've brought in a lot of new ideas and new people. I'm a really big fan of this citizens' assembly that's going on at the moment, because that is a way of being open to the public and getting feedback and input from all sorts of different groups that you'd never hear of normally. So I think that's fantastic. So what are citizens' assemblies, I hear you ask? Well... They are essentially a group of people that are brought together to learn and discuss issues and reach conclusions. And governments and parliaments around the world are increasingly using citizens' assemblies in the work that they do. It basically involves members of the public and is independently facilitated. And here in Bristol, they brought together a randomly selected group of people who broadly reflect the diverse communities of Bristol. So over four weekends in January to March... The group will meet and discuss COVID-19 and how that's affected Bristol and make recommendations on what should happen and how things should change. Is that not also a way of removing power of councillors? I've heard uh, that as well. But- ca- councillor power has been removed quite effectively. Um, and but Even more so by saying, we know you're elected officials, but now we're going to bring in a load of general public to speak instead of you. Well, it's not necessarily instead. It's a different route. You know, if you do consultation and you listen to the public and you mm. listen to councillors, you can either combine that or you can either ignore the public and say it's the councillors, or you can use both as direct input. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm kind of being cheeky in, in a sense when I say that because because I think that's one of the the the, the counter view, and, and I do hear it and have heard it. The counter view of of this um, uh, the the um, electoral chamber is not as democratic as it once was. Yeah. But I think that one of the reasons maybe why the Citizens' Assembly stuff or more, I guess, direct democracy, which is sort of on the populism ticket, isn't it? The more yeah. and more people are doing that, bypassing it. I think probably if Marvin was here, you know, talking to us now, and hopefully he will agree to do an interview. He pulled out at the last minute on one he was supposed to do a month ago, but I'm hoping he will agree to do an interview with me. Is that, that actually I think what he would say would be that sometimes councillors are obstructive for the sake of it. Yeah. Sometimes they're contrary. Actually, they're not wedded to change. They're just saying the opposite to what I said, and they just get in the way. And I probably think he sees somebody like you as just a pain in the arse. <laughs> that's not what he said in the cabinet uh, meeting. It's not a direct quote. Yeah, it's not a direct yeah. quote. But I don't know. That's my sense. I know, you know, I know yeah. how he is a bit, and I know Marvin's. He also doesn't like. I think because you're good over detail, aren't you? And you're kind of prodding yeah. away. I think he's a good, he's a good overview and a good visionary leader, but he's yeah. probably not over it as much as you are. And I can imagine he, you niggle him a bit and, he, and you annoy him. You're an irritant. I, I think you might be right there. I tend to make sure I'm an expert in something before I go at it. And there are times where I've known more than the officers. Going back to the special educational needs <coughs> two or three years ago now, I was chairing the budget scrutiny and we were trying to work out how on earth the council thought it was going to spend less money on special education needs. I went to a meeting of SENCOs, the special education need coordinators for North Bristol. Yeah. And I understood more there within the two or three hour meeting than I did listening to officer after officer. And then yeah. using that information to fire back in budget meetings meant that we managed to get three or four million for special education needs that budget year. And that's on top of what the judge forced reversal. It's still dreadfully underfunded, but the fact that government refuses to fund it properly is no reason why those children should be disadvantaged further. So the point is, without somebody like you and others doing the detail, doing the scrutiny, holding elected power to account, those things and positive changes don't happen. Yeah. If you get Marvin on, ask him if Clive and Tim Kent's intervention yeah. in special educational needs in order to make properly funded. Find yeah. out whether he thought that was a good thing or a bad thing. I, I don't think yeah. he dare say it was a bad thing. So, Well, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully he will in time. What, for you then, politics at the moment, would you say there is a, cause a democratic deficit? Because I think some of the things you could levy and people have done towards the the, um, the mayoral administration. It's very similar, ironically, that people say around Boris and the government at the moment that you yeah. know, there isn't any real scrutiny over COVID no. contracts. There isn't all this sort of stuff. It's all Chatham House rules kind of handshake yeah. stuff. It seems quite similar, but oddly, you know, obviously two different political parties. I don't know. There's this rush to get things done and therefore you chuck openness and scrutiny out yeah. the window in order to rush to get things done. And maybe that's because of the four or five year electoral cycle. And yeah. by doing that, there's a higher risk you actually do the wrong things, which then means in five years or 10 years time, you've got to correct it all. And you do that in a rush and it just gets worse. And it's like a, a pendulum that's swinging more and more wildly. You rightly describe Neil, how politics operates, but I don't think it works for the public anymore. Do you think the public 
care about this stuff as much. So, you know, the committee stuff, the detail, the minutiae, detail over policies. Because when I look around now, the one thing I would say about politics is that it feels that that sort of stuff's out the window now. You know, we've seen elections being won purely off slogans and catchphrases being repeated. You know, we see populist leaders that are... It's become sort of show business more now. I guess my my question to you is that, is that a good or a bad thing? Because actually what it has done is we've had some of the highest turnouts in politics in this kind of populist period. I think 2019 was the second highest election since Blair came in, in 97, I think. So it's clearly people are engaging with politics again. So isn't that a good thing? They're engaging with the wrong type of politics. Now, politics isn't just voting. And unfortunately, if people treat it as just voting, which is how a number of politicians are trying to do, you end up the state yeah. we're in with lots of messaging ramping up just before the election. And then you give favours to the people that help get you back in power. You know, one party gets a lot of funding one route, and then you start seeing, oh, the the new planning system, the builders love it, the developers love it, but everyone else thinks it's bananas. It it wins elections, doesn't it? And and, and changing society. Yeah, but that's wrong. It's wrong. That's why my book is called After the Revolution, because if we don't do something, there will be. Look at the 2019 election and look at how... There was some really good policy stuff that Corbyn put forward. Yeah, it had like no that. cut. It had no cut through because the way the message was delivered. Yeah, all you've got to do is have I don't know a message of get Brexit done, get Brexit done, get Brexit done. A bit like in the EU referendum, yeah, just yeah. say take back control, America, make America great again, and that wins. So my thing for the left is stop overcomplicating it. Just mirror and replicate what's effective and what makes you win. Well, that's currently how you get into power. Just think of the longer-term consequences of that. You know, we've got so many millions of people now who are living on subsistence wages. Now, in, uh, I don't know, Victorian times, subsistence was just getting enough to live to get by, and that's what's happening now. You know, trying to get houses and flats in Bristol is horrific. It's just going wrong. If that is how, if this at the moment is how people are winning, right? Yeah. And if we don't want to mirror and just do the parrot fashion sloganism, you want politics to have meaning. How can we start to make people care about these issues? Yeah, you you need a situation where you have like citizens' juries, citizens' assemblies, participative democracy, so people begin to realise that they could make a little difference in their area. And we need to have uh, books and ideas and, and people that can help drive this. And it'll take 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And if it, it involves more messaging and populism on the way, then that's very sad, but you might well be right. That's what's needed. Yeah, it, may, it may well be sad, but I also do think there are, I also think the left can learn from people like Bannon and Cummings yeah. and people like that, yeah. that actually, you know, that the regardless of, of where their politics are, you cannot deny they are effective at campaigning and they're able to cut through. Mm. And, and the left have not done that for some time. So I think also it's about learning from what is effective. So if you can actually you know, have the correct policies that are going to benefit working people and you've got the messaging right, 
Uh, whereas I don't think we've really had either. We've either had spin from the, you know, the sort of new Labour a bit, or we've had Corbynism, which is great, but they, they have no ability to connect beyond their core base. So I mm. think it's, it's potentially a bit of both. One of the problems, a, a lot of people earn more money from their house prices going up than they do from their work. And you've got a completely screwed up view of the economy and society if you're in that situation. I, I, I speak passionately about this because I was one of those, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I thought like that. I'm, I'm appalled, you did? But okay. I did, but okay. there we go. I've learned. You've been on a bit of a journey then to come. Okay, that's interesting. Very much yeah. so. Going the opposite direction. Most people become more right-wing when they get older, <laughs> <don't they? laughs> Let's Let's just quickly, quickly change tact uh, as we're sort of coming to the end. Elections are coming up in May. You're obviously not standing. Correct. Let's yeah. talk about how the Greens are going to do in, in the council seats first. Confident? I think the Greens will get more councillors. Yeah. There were 11 when I was a councillor. It's 10 at the moment. So I think the Greens yeah. will get more. I think Labour will get less. But I probably still think that Labour will have the most councillors. But ideally not. The really important thing is Labour not having a majority of councillors. If that plays out, that enables the other parties to start grabbing back the constitution from yeah. how it's been distorted. And one of the caveats of the mayoral system was that obviously George Ferguson had a rainbow cabinet. And I mm. think uh, Mayor Marvin Rees promised that that was the case. And it was the case for a brief period. And then something happened and it all kind of collapsed. Would that be, if there was a rainbow cabinet, would that caveat some of your concerns around you know lack of democracy, the fact that it would be shared responsibility a bit more? I, I, I really struggle with that one because I, uh, it, it depends how it's managed. I think George Ferguson got away with it because yeah. he didn't really have a political agenda. And so yeah. but you imagine a conservative, if, um, whether it's Green it's tricky, or, or Marvin, yeah. Yeah, conservative in there, they're going to have to compromise their integrity so much. I know some people yeah. can do that, but... <laughs> Um, yeah. it, 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 it gets very difficult after a while. But Sandy has said if he wins as Green Mayor, he would do that. That's one of his policies, I think. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, that, that means he needs to be probably a bit more light touch, which I think is probably a good thing. Yeah. Can he win? Can he win? Yeah, he can win. Uh, I'm not saying he would win, but I'm saying he can win. You know, we've got a few months. What should the strategy be to win? Uh, I'd need to give that some thought. Actually, the the one I'm more interested in is, is the Wecker. So the West of England Mayoral Combined Authority, Wecker, is essentially made up of three councils in the region, Bath and North East Somerset, Bristol and South Gloucestershire, and it's a new layer of regional government. Who's it's the, the Metro Wecker. Mayor, OK. Yeah, the Metro yeah. Mayor is, is getting all the power. And he gets none of the hassle, yeah. or she, but I, I believe they're all yeah. male candidates. They're all, they are, Metro yeah. Mayor's got control over housing, transport, jobs, and uh, training. I mean, what more can you want coming out of COVID? So much more exciting and so much more power. Yeah, the, and um, money. The last money, time, money, yeah. And money. That when I interviewed uh, Samuel Williams... Uh, who was standing as Bristol Mayor candidate? Three days later, he decided to stand as the Metro Mayor. Well, I, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did or what I said to him, but it could put him off applying. I think he switched. I think I did say that 
Surely you've got a better chance of winning the Metro Mayor, haven't you? Yeah. I think I said. <laughs> the only yeah. problem is that the Metro Mayor is even less democratic than the Bristol Mayor. And I've had a lot well, of criticism, yeah. you know, yeah. criticise the Bristol system. So. Yeah. so would you do away with it? Would you do If you had your way then, Clive, uh, obviously Bristol did vote for... They, I think one of the reasons Bristol did vote for Mayor in the first place, even though it was an exceptionally low turnout, I do know that, you know, yeah. and, and most people didn't even know about it, was because people were a bit frustrated with the deadlock of the council and stuff in the past. But now that we've seen what it is, we've had two mayors, you know, the Lib Dems policy is to remove the mayor... Obviously, the Greens isn't, but would you would you do away with it? Me personally, firstly, I'd see who wins, the Metro Mayor and the, the Bristol Mayor, being yeah. pragmatic. And then you can interview mm-hmm. me again in June, but you probably wouldn't yeah. want to. Um, no, I think, I'll get you in. Because I'm such a, a fan of democracy, I have worries about both of them, unless they're really sorted out. Bristol operates badly and the Wecker operates even worse. You know, that almost seems from a distance yeah. as a fiefdom for business. Any do you look do you think you'll be able to look back with fonder memories with a bit more distance, a bit more time? And do you yes. see yourself still having a hand in Bristol politics in some way yeah. um, it, it, to, to a lesser degree in the future? Yeah, yes, all of that. I think I can be not quite as effective, but with a lot less effort. I want to go and do some other social enterprise activities. I also want to yeah. promote my book and do more talk. You've mentioned it about seven times yeah, in this interview. You've, so you've done a good job to promote it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and so you are you're gonna keep a hand in and you'll we'll still know you're at yeah, maybe we'll get you back on. We'll get some political pundits on the show, I think, when election time starts kicking off if you're up for that. Yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah, could be. Splendid. Thanks, Clive. Most appreciated, sir. Lovely, lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Neil. Finished the chat with Clive. Going to keep the reflection a bit shorter this week. I enjoyed it. I never really spoke to him much before, other than on the phone briefly before we recorded. He a bit different than I expected. I knew when I'd heard about him being a very detailed person, a bit bookish, very thorough with his forensic scrutiny of the mayor and probably seen by City Hall as being a bit of pain in the backside. So I didn't know if he would be a little bit dry, I don't know, he would lack maybe a bit of humour, a bit of flow. But actually, to the contrary, he was very funny, actually. <laughs> quite dry, quite self-effacing. But also there's that thing about being a politician. When you stood down, as he has recently done, it frees you up a little bit to be a bit more relaxed and a bit more open. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs. And a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.